Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and uh, with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott, uh, coming in by phone. Hey there, VJ. How are you today? Hey, good, good. Today's the Five Bike Borrow Tour, so thankfully uh, no, no interference for me, but uh, it's quite a thing to celebrate, yeah. Do you ride bikes, VJ, ever? No, not really. I mean, I, I can ride a bike, and I, I do ride occasionally, but... Um, Mm-hmm. I'm not an yeah. avid bike rider. No. Not the avid cyclist. Yeah. I, uh, I, I had the city bike membership for a while, which was uh, helpful getting, you know, across town and, and, and that sort of thing quicker than the subway at, at times, um, and especially, you know, even in a car. But, um, yeah, May 1st, we're in. I love May. I don't uh, like Mayo, but I like May. Ha <laughs> um, Let me just get uh, Steve situated. Wait, hang on. We have uh, Steve Moskowitz. The president of the Analytical Psychology Club uh, with us today. So let me just get his microphone set up. Hold on. Ah, uh, nice. We are going to be so talking with uh, Steve Moskowitz. So Steve, uh, right. we'll start the conversation off a little bit about the Analytical Psychology Club. Um, tell us a little bit about um, the history and, and how you got involved with it and, and uh, what is it. Yeah. Hey, um, the Analytical Psychology Club of New York was founded in the 1930s. It is an organization that is devoted to the, the teachings and knowledge of Carl Gustav Jung, who was born in Zurich um, in the, uh, uh, I guess, the 19th century. And uh, he is... Uh, the uh, the uh, found, the founder or the uh, creator of analytical psychology, he and um, he had a large following in Europe and America and four women in the 30s who were part of his uh, uh, psychology and knowledge and writing and teaching and educating started the Jung Foundation on in the middle of Manhattan. They ended up at 28 East 39th Street, where there are a number of organizations that are devoted to analytical psychology. And analytical psychology is part of what Jung, uh, the field is uh, immense, uh, because it, it deals with uh, not only um, finding uh, uh, an inner path, but the goal is for the individual to have a, th- um, um, uh, a mindset uh, called individuation. And uh, that is a process. Uh, along with that, um, there are many aspects. Uh, Jung brought the Taoism to the West. Um, and when he had the I Ching uh, translated from the Chinese to German by a man named Wilhelm, and uh, that became translated into English, and that is actually the first time I was connected to Jung in any way is when I was presented um, the opportunity to play with the I Ching uh, by a good friend. Um, she, at her time, was a Gurdjieffian. She was part of the Gurdjieff people, and um, which was uh, about... Uh, learning how to be um, awake. You know, Gurdjieff was speaking about how everyone was walking around asleep and 
the practices that these uh, these groups were able to do is to to point the fact that most people are not present and certainly not awake. And uh, I had a, quite a few friends who were Gurdjieffians, and um, they showed me the practices. I found it fabulous, and I, I pursued that quite a bit. And uh, one of those people was a woman named George Ann Swant. And George Ann Swant said to, was an astrologer and many things, but uh, she was also uh, involved with uh, the Analytical Psychology Club of New York, and she was a member. And one day she invited me to come to a Tuesday monthly lecture at the Young Society. Now, I can't say whether that was in the 1990s, but I do believe it was somewhere in the middle of the 1990s. I went there, and I went there every month after that for quite a few years, until one day she said, well, why don't you join the Analytical Psychology Club? And I said, uh, what do you have to do? And... Um, she introduced me to the people that were uh, the heads of the organization at the time. And what was required was to have 50 hours of Jungian therapy with the Jungian therapist. So I found a Jungian therapist, and after a few years, I completed 100 hours of Jungian therapy. I, I brought my application in, and uh, everybody approved it, and... Therefore, I ended up being a member of the Analytical Psychology Club. Mm. And years went by. I went to many of the programs. I was always inspired by everything I saw. A lot of the people became uh, familiar to me. And then um, one day, uh, George Jen said, why don't you join the, the Analytical Psychology uh, Board? And I said, I don't know, and I ended up being a, a member of the uh, the analytical psychology board. And uh, as time went by, I became the assistant treasurer of the analytical psychology board, and uh, eventually the treasurer. In the meanwhile, there is the analytical psychology club of New York is also uh, connected to the Christine Mann Library. Mm. That is the library that we are most proud of. It's part of the Analytical Psychology Club of New York. And it is a font of information regarding Jungian uh, everything. Uh, if you're interested in um, shamanism, healing, meditation, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, occult uh, issues, indigenous issues, uh, all, all sorts of elements that are part of the collective unconscious uh, and the collective conscious. So it is a uh, foundation for a lot of scholarship. A lot of people go there and find a lot of material that is mm. suited for their individuation and for going forward and being therapists and helping other people. For me, it is a sanctuary. I go yeah. to the library and every time I open any book, you know, I could fall into it. Um, mm. Sanctuaries, uh, libraries have always been a sanctuary to me and as difficult it is, as it is to get to a library in New York, I finally am involved with the library so I'm committed to being there and enjoying the sanctuary that it, um, it gives me. 
Thank you. Thank you. So interesting. So interesting. So many different aspects to the, the journey, especially we were just talking about the individuation process and how um, a person kind of goes to become who they truly are, I believe, is the mind gen is like, you know, kind of a way. Tell us a little bit more about the individuation process, what do you understand from it and what your own journey into individuation is or was rather and is and was um, how you kind of reach that state of true healing, true knowledge of yourself, true knowledge of your life's journey, your life's mission, is my understanding. Yeah. Well, you know, there are a lot of parts to one's individual, what, you know, who their relationships are um, and, and what they, um, you know, what they're passionate about, what their needs are, um, and uh, where, how they got to where they are, where they live, who they're... Uh, heritage is, um, how they uh, connect to the creator yeah. in all of us. But for yourself, particularly, like for yourself. Well, what well you uh, yourself? Yeah. for me, um, like all journeys, you when you hit a bottom um, and you, you've tried everything mm. <laughs> and you get to a point and you have many of those in your lifetime where you surrender <laughs> and maybe a, t- a friend comes along and says, well, haven't you tried this? Or maybe you'll find something like that. For me, I've always been blessed with incredible friends who've always seemed to know me better than I know myself, and they've led me to things. Uh, I, can, I was led by a, a friend of mine. Uh, she was a dancer, a mimist, an actor, and when I hurt my body um, over extending myself physically, um, and I'd gone to chiropractic for years and years and years without any relief. Uh, she said, why don't you go to my friend Bob? He can help you. And no, 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 Eric, I can't do that. I can't do it. Well, anyway, I was so crippled that Bob was only a block away. And Bob was a man named, uh, and this is really important. He mm. was the person, if I had to emulate on the planet Earth, it would be him. Um, Bob was named Robert W. Seed. He ran the Seeds Studio on West 56th Street in New York. And the Seeds Studio was a pol- an original Pilates studio. Robert W. Seed was the, um, an associate to Joseph Pilates, who ran Pilates and mainly for models and dancers and actors in, in New York. And Bob and Joe, at some point in time, had a falling out and... Bob went and he created a, the same kind of studio. He built his own equipment, the same equipment, because he was building it over at Pilates. And uh, he opened his own studio, and Erica got me to go over there one day. I walked up the stairs feeling crippled. Um, I looked at these people on these machines doing things I had only wished I could do. Mm. And um, I went into the back room where he looked at me. He... he looked at my shoulders, they were out of alignment, my hips were out of alignment, everything was out of alignment. (laughs) He did a few adjustments, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and um, after that he said, "Uh, let me know how you feel, you know, when he was done with me, and I walked down the steps. For the first time in my life, I said, oh my God, I can control my own destiny. This is really, was a I saw that there was a path. It seems like it's a deeper than just a physical thing. It was like a spiritual awakening, a spiritual uh, a depletion of not just the body, but also like 
you know, a lot of times it corresponds with the energetic body you're talking a little bit about, like how the energetic body is intertwined with the physical body. Um, I wasn't and, in yeah. touch with my breath. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And once I was touch, once I got in touch with uh, his work on me, he didn't let mm-hmm. me go on to the Pilates equipment and, until it, seven sessions of him literally working on me uh, with as shiatsu. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know until much later that he had brought Korean acupuncture to America. He was the first one. Uh, but that came many years later because nobody knew what acupuncture was in that time or very few people did. Yeah. Uh, he changed my life and he, we became friends. His wife became friends. And two or three years later, his wife, Evelyn, at the time, said, Steve, why don't we go down to study uh, with this uh, master, Taoist uh, master down in Chinatown. And we'll mm. go with... Uh, with two other friends, uh, music- two musicians that we both knew. And we all started going to classes somewhere in 1978 or 79 to Chinatown, which, you know, I was never really fond of. Um, but this gentleman and his wife and their son sat there and with horribly uh, spoken English, he presented a formula for... Um, he. He presented the Taoist esoteric yoga system. Mm. And for some reason, it made complete sense to me. It had to deal with your emotions, uh, your organs, uh, your physical body, breathing, movement. Basically, it was showing us Qigong. Mm. And, you know, through the years, that's what I learned from him. Qigong practices, breathing practices, meditative practices, all excellent stuff that I use to this day. And what that did, along with the Pilates that I had been doing for a few years, allowed me to have a sense of well-being, a great sense of well-being, and trust in the universe that the universe might uh, give me the way. The way. And I do want to get a little bit into the energetic body, luminous body, the the psych, the... um, Electric body. We were discussing a little bit of that before the show. How the, the overlapping aspects of the of being. We were discussing how um, you know how that's all connected, and yet we're, we're experiencing the consciousness is experiencing itself on so many different energetic levels. Energy consciousness. We were discussing a little bit before the show. I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that and how that relates to um, you know what you were what you were just discussing. You know, the actual mechanics of it a little bit you were discussing, but then uh, and the history of it. Um, in your in your process, but then also the the, the theoretical the theory of it and how that connects to the, to the actual experience. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way: I learned, I took a course in natural powers hmm. with a man named Doug Douglas Boyd. Doug Boyd. He was a wonderful writer. What his most prominent work is called Rolling Thunder, and Rolling Thunder was in medicine man of the West, who is the medicine man for uh, the Grateful Dead and many people out in the West. And he, one day, I was upstate, and I was going to the loo, and I walked by uh, my friend David's sister's uh, bedroom, and on her nightstand was this book called Rolling Thunder, and it like, I'm very... Um, excited about indigenous knowledge. So I'll, I'll go through that porthole right now with you. So I eventually had a chance to get a copy of Rolling Thunder. 
And sure enough, the, that coming season, there was a thing called in New York called the Whole Life Expo. And I had been there for many uh, events and some really important events that you know, I could speak about. But there was Doug Boyd giving a, um, a weekend uh, course. And uh, I asked to work the room, you know, because I was uh, working with, you know, the volunteer people, you know, working the event. And I sat there those two days, and I was just so excited. And he said that he has a place called the, um, the um, I'll, I'll remember in a minute, um, on uh, East 38th Street, uh, in the basement of a Chinese restaurant uh, where he has the, uh, his organization and he's teaching courses. There were 12-week or 16-week events, or two, two 12-week events every week we'd meet. And he brought us into concepts of natural powers. In that course, where we did many things, singing, meditations, body work, a lot of... Um, stuff, he did explain this. He said, we are a physical body. And our physical body is, you know, what we see. In that physical body, we have an electric body. It's inside our body, and it runs outside of our body. Those two things are connected. What happens to the physical body is certainly affected by the electric body. And then we have, um, we have you know, we have uh, the gravity going on, over our electric body, we have a, an auric body. People are often able to see one's aura um, and, and, or understand that. And that also is part of the physical, the electric body, the auric body. So what happens in the auric body happens in the physical body and so on. And past the auric body, we have an etheric body. And that's huge. But we're all connected to that as well. And Past that is our cosmic body. Mm. So if one could use visualization, which all of these practices really are about, breathing and visualization, you visualize moving energy, and once you have a, um, a trust in that process, uh, then you can develop these tools, these techniques to uh, create a sense of being present, mindfulness, and all of that mindfulness and all that work and breathing techniques and being aware allows you to be where you are. Mm. And you can go from there, many different places. Yeah, and, any, and then doing anything, whether it be you know, riding a bike, as we were discussing, you know, or like just walking around or just being conscious of oneself, is a so important tool to living a fulfilling life. If you're not conscious of where you're at right now, you won't be able to manifest where you want to go or, or even understand where, where you're going. You know, like you, you're pulled by this kind of unconsciousness force. Like I think Jung was saying, if you can't make the unconscious conscious, then you're living a, you know, a life that is uh, determined by fate and destiny rather than being a conscious, um, you know, making the unconscious conscious is the prime, uh, muscle to move so that then you can actually take charge of your life and actually, um, you know, be, in be kind of guiding the life, you know. And just to bring in Jung a little bit, how he, how he um, might comment on or how he might 
digest a lot of this indigenous and uh, Taoist and a lot of these philosophies we're, we're talking about. Uh, tell us a bit about your understanding of like how analytic psychology kind of cross, cross sections, crosses with all these philosophies, yeah. Well, going to the indigenous aspect, Jung, Carl Jung traveled to the Southwest yeah. um, in his journeys. He's been of America, around, you mean? Of America, yeah. Southwest of America. Yeah. In his journeys around the world, you know, he's studied many cultures. I would say, you know, in that respect, he and Campbell were, you know, you know, both representatives of uh, Joseph Campbell, that is, you know, were able to go into these understanding these cultures and learn something. What Jung found when he got to the southwest of America was that the chief that he spoke with, whose name escapes me, well, it doesn't really matter, because the indigenous knowledge is pretty universal and uniform. Uh, the chief noticed that Jung was coming from his head, talking, thinking, everything from his head. And the chief stopped him and he said, we don't do that. We speak from the heart. Mm. It was probably uh, the awakening of Jung mm. to realize that there are other ways getting out of your head and feeling your heart is really uh, the way that empathy begins. And if you can be have your heart involved, you bring up your empathy. You feel everything. You connect to everything. And you have a, you know, it's a different way of per perception. It, you know, what Huxley called it the doors of perception. We perceive things in many different ways. I believe that the teachers we have are the, are the ones we should learn from. They give us great guidance. And we can emulate our, the ones who took the time to teach us something. I think we have a quality life. And you, as you add all of these practices, um, you know, it takes decades to develop yourself. These are things that you make a decision with early in your life. In my 30s, I was looking for, you know, the Tai Chi. It came to me. And uh, I studied with a fabulous woman, um, and uh, I, Pilates came to me, and Jung came to me. And I was already involved with Jung when I was playing with the I Ching. The I Ching is a fabulous book. Jung spoke about the I Ching. Why is it fabulous? Because it gives the understanding that chance changes your life. A chance moment can turn everything around. That element that he found that was that the I Ching um, gave, um, I didn't need to hear that. I I took to the I Ching like I took to many uh, many knowledges. Uh, all esoteric knowledges are interesting to me. Mm. They're all part of the great uh, consciousness and wisdom. I was thinking about it before. I was my thought is is that we are atomic beings. Yeah. Everything is atomic in our universe. We are made of atoms. Yeah. That, I, do, I do want to kick, uh, kick in here about sure. chance. It's so interesting you bring up chance because it's like, um, my understanding of the union understanding uh, union, um, teachings is that like when you think about chance, there is no accidents. There's no chance. There's all meaningful processes that uh, whether or not it's meaningful from our end, our side, we're giving meaning to it, or whether or not it has meaning on its own end is a question. But um, 
it seems like everything has a meaning and that synchronicity would be an example of like how we, we kind of are able to see meaning in things uh, beyond just like the randomness of, because I think chance on associating with randomness. I are, think you're, the, th the connection is more uh, empathy oriented. If mm. you can feel, a, it's about feeling. Mm. It's getting out of your mind, mm. out of your talking left side of your brain. Thank you, Alex Hill, who gave me that concept from yeah. the Jungian people. Uh, where the left side of the brain develops, and the right side of the brain is what we use in our childhood. That's our innocent side. That's our creative-looking side. And the left side of our brain seems to be the dialogue side, questioning mm. all those questions. Did I pay my rent? Did I... Did I walk the dog? Did I this? Did I forget to turn off the water? All that's dialogue, that inner dialogue is coming from the left side of our brains. Yeah. And the minute you even hear that, then maybe you could focus on all that dialogue. That dialogue is not from the heart. The heart and breathing take you out of that dialogue. If you focus on your breath, you can't be focusing on what you're the left brain wants you to engage in. Mm. That's our battle. That is our battle in today's world with so much information that has to be discerned that we get through every day. So much has to be worked through. How do you stop that? How can you give that side of your brain a rest? It's yeah. going to burn out. Yeah, there's not only the journey between the two sides of the brain, but also the, the journey between the head and the heart, as we're talking about, and the journey from going from logical, like the, on one hand, we have the, the different processes of the mind, and then we have the heart-centered processes. So moving out of even leaving the two, um, you know, the brain-centered to the heart-centered is the major uh, thing. But if we were to draw from both the, yeah, talking a little bit about that, like how, um, you know, we have the two aspects of mind, you know, the language and the, and the drawing and the illustration and the, the conceptual and and how that relates to the heart centered more empath empath um, you know empathy using empathy and using more uh, you know feeling oriented more intuition all this kind of stuff and 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 the, all the different discourses around um, the different aspects of the chakras and all the different parts of the energetic body there's a lot a lot of ripe territory there but yeah well. You know, there are many ways to approach this, but let's approach the heart first. Yeah. Let's say we were speaking from Taoistic terms. The heart is red. The heart is, in Taoist philosophy, it signifies the summer. It also it signifies the emotion called impatience. <laughs> we are very impatient. The heart can be very impatient. The heart is red. The heart is summer. And if it gets too hot, it could have a heart attack. The upper part of the body is, you know, related to the heart. The emotion of the heart is uh, impatience. In the summertime, you may find people are less patient with others. If you're just working on the emotion, patience versus impatience, and you look at your heart, and you do breathing techniques, and you breathe in and out, understand that the heart is connected to your tongue. Mm. The heart is, the thumb is your heart. Your 
you know, your pinky toe is your heart. And once you start to learn all these other parts of it, you may understand that we are also a pulse, a body pulse. And one of the elements is get your physical body together. On If you're doing practices, you will end up where you are observing your actual pulse. And pulse mm. in your body is throughout. And if it's out of balance, it means that one part of your body is going ahead of the other. There are practices to balance your pulses. One of them is called Jin Shin Jitsu, which I've studied as well. That is a Japanese technique, learning how to use your pulses. And Jin Shin Jitsu means to know thyself. Mm. It is a wonderful way to work on your own inner practices. But that's not the... In, in the Qigong practices, we do a lot of work understanding how our pulses work. So you have many ways to get to just even understanding the nature of pulses, which are li literally not one pulse in your body, but they all should be together. Mm -hmm. There are levels of it. It's somewhat complicated, but just to know you're pulsing will get you connected to your heart and your breathing, and the heart, empathy, is where your brain should be. You should follow your heart, not mm -hmm. the heart following the brain. Your eyes will take you to what you're seeing over there, and you go, I want that, you know, but you're, that's your vision talking and your left brain talking. Yeah. And if you can close that and, and feel what you need, get into it, really means something to you. What is, what is your responsibility in this world? Mm. Taking responsibility. And the, and the concept of the Four Agreements, the book that's very famous and popular now, all the elements of shamanism, Taoism, they're all the same. They all come to the very element of um, not taking anything personally. Yeah. Um, Being impeccable with your word, I think, is one of them. Um, what are uh, the others? I don't remember. I had to Google it. Um, don't take anything personally. Yeah. Um, be impeccable is one of them in, in things that you do and do the best you can. Do the best you can. Uh, and make the, the other one that's really important is to make no assumptions. Yeah. Once you can even understand that that's what you're doing all the time. Yeah. Uh, quieting your heart, quieting your brain, getting focused into the breath is a lifetime work. Some people are born in that. Yeah. I had to work very hard to find the space in my, in my way of having been brought up in survival and all of that. It took a lot of time. But I just want to remind listeners of the Truth to Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. We're here with um, APC President um, Steve Moskowitz. And uh, on the phone is uh, um, Scott Raven. Uh, yeah, Scott, if you want to weigh in a little bit of your experience with uh, energies, and we talked a little bit about the, the five bicycle bike tour. We talked a little bit about <laughs> kind of how performance perhaps may be something when you're performing. Uh, to throw a question at you, uh, when you're performing, how do you know that you're in that hard space or, you know, you know, you do a lot of improv, you do a lot of on the spur of the moment, um, 
you know, when you're on stage, you have to be, you can't be intellectual about it. You have to be very much aligned with your heart. So tell us a little bit about your experience of that. Maybe you can uh, chime in. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely got to be kind of aligned, aligned with your heart and also feel like, you, you know, know, know uh, very well what you're, what you're set out to do so then that you can play and then have some fun mm. where you kind of know it um, and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I'm just coming off kind of like the road uh, doing some shows. And I also wanted to hear a little bit about the importance of, uh, of rest, of, of sleep, maybe what the, the Jungian view of, you know, how rest uh, is important and, and sleep. You mentioned the active body, but also, you know, taking that time to just kind of that stillness as well to be able to recharge so that you can bring your full energy to stuff uh so i'm interested you know from uh from steve you know the importance of rest if, if, if he sleeps well if you're able to get that sleep you said you you know that what led you to uh to the um pilates uh, or to the chiropractor in general but a little bit about i guess yeah the importance of of rest and sleep and that brings up a whole big discourse in dreaming how it seems like we never, even in sleep, we're never getting full rest. We're always we're generating something, and I don't know the difference between like the, the restful, sleepless dream, dreamless sleep, and then you know when we generate stuff in our in our sleep, that we we can get a little bit into that as well. But first, you're talking about self care. Well, Scott, the master Montagiers explained it this way: when we're young, we need a lot of sleep. Our bodies are developing; we need a lot of sleep. When we get older, older individuals do not need a lot of sleep. They do need a lot of rest, and they do need how to, how to learn how to rest. Uh, rest is extremely important. Sleep is not as essential. The more you become aligned with your body, the less sleep you really will need. Um, it matters, of course, on your nutrition and, and your lifestyle and the physicalness of the way you make your uh, living or living your life. But sleep is an element that we all need, but we don't need a lot of sleep as we get older. Older people need less and less sleep. They need more and more rest. If you're using that rest period to, to create um, uh, an energy field um, and learning that your breathing and your movement and your fluidity in your body is all is what you uh, you need. Then uh, you're always at rest. In in mm-hmm. in Tai Chi, you're you're resting while you're moving, and you're moving while you're resting. It's really kind of simple, but yeah. you might as well learn to practice it so you'll understand what I'm talking about. Mm. I'm always resting when I'm moving. If I'm on a subway. And I'm sitting there, I'm doing my breathing techniques. I might be moving through space, but all I'm, I'm doing psychic breathing, you know, all kinds of breathing techniques that I learned so that when I get to my destination, I am present. Mm. I am conscious. I am awake. I am in the moment. Without these practices, I could be sitting there wandering uh, the universe because, you know, I have a Walter Mitty uh, way of leaving my body easily Mm. i go right out so yes we need rest we need to leave our bodies it reminds reminds a little bit of the you know people like to honor the um 
type A, type B personalities. But I think type A, when we think about type A as being like a high strung, and I think that's something that just like, as you're saying, is like we need to, we need to really rest. We need to, you know, if we're going to be active, we're going to be busy, you know, we have to constantly check in with ourselves. It's healthy to constantly be at a point of acknowledgement of where we're at, what, what we're experiencing, be in touch with the energetic body, and not be high strung to the point where we're out of touch with, um, you know, with what's going on inside of us, yeah. If your brain is is constantly asking you the what ifs or how come mm. or I don't know mm. and uh, what do we do now, and you're not stopping that inner dialogue where you're not present, uh, it's that's the work we do in our lives. Mm. It takes a lifetime to work on it, and you can you have to work on it continually. You have to play on it continually. Scott, you brought up play before. And, you know, in Tai Chi Chuan, it's an intrinsic exercise. There isn't a calorie burnt, there, but your inners are working, your energy, your, your flows, your blood, your lymph. Your lymph drains when you do Tai Chi Chuan. Lymph is where all the poisons are collecting. You want to drain your lymph. People should raise their hands way above their head every day to let their lymph nodes, you know, cleanse themselves. It's part of um, taking care of yourself. You could either be the kind of person that goes, doctor, what's wrong with me? Or you can try to figure out what's wrong with you and work on that before you need a doctor. You know, these are difficult decisions that we have to find when we get a chance. Yeah. You know, our lives are very busy until, you know, all of a sudden you... You know, you hit the you hit the wall. Yeah, you know, everything yeah, everything you've tried isn't working anymore. Why? Uh, what you know was what you thought was right is wrong. Mm. You learn how to eat better. You know, you mentioned type A and type B, but we're yeah. blood types. Yeah. There's a great book called Eat Right for Your Type by yeah. Dr. John Dadamo or Jay Dadamo and his yeah. father. They write about the different uh, qualities of blood types where you learn what nutrition you need uh, for that blood type and, and, and many other things. Yeah. And that's really important because everything that we eat turns to sugar. But it's what kind of sugar that you need and your blood types require different sugars to be at their best. So all of this inner work, you know, is, is fun. You learn. And you did say something about your acting, uh, Scott, when you say you learn a piece and then you can play in it. That's exactly how I feel about Tai Chi Chuan. The, mm. the procedure, the, uh, the movements, the 108 movements are the same, but they're never the same. I am so far into it that now I am totally able to play with the movements to go in different directions. Mm. And I can honestly say that the most wonderful part of it is that what, what Bruce Lee once said very long ago um, when he was talking about what he does, you can be like water. And if you could actually be, be like water in these practices, that is such an elevation of understanding your entire phys- physical body mm. and understanding how, how we can be water. Mm. Uh, 
it's I don't know if I could say it any better than that. What's coming up for me also is you know we we're talking a little bit of typology. We we're talking a little bit about knowing your type, knowing your um, getting a deeper understanding of oneself. But also, what's coming up for me is that you know the Jungian understanding also taught me that you know the judgments we have around um, you know positive, negative, you know this and that is, is to be discarded. We should understand rather how the shadow and the shadow self operates, how it can like bestow on us some gifts that we like, you know, learning deeper about ourselves by encountering the shadow, by uh, encountering the negative, the perceived negative aspects of our lives, you know, how the anxiety and all these things can teach us something that the long night of the soul, you know, diving deep as we began about um, reaching the, the expiration of what's working and then trying to rebuild ourselves to the point where we're like, we're understanding where, where our, um, limits are and where are where how we can bring, build new limits uh, the know? shadow part let yeah. me let me talk about what i feel about that in my in in the way i've been perceiving it yeah and that has evolved too what what i find within me is that the physical body uh, contains every all the knowledge of our our complete history our genealogy, and uh, someone someone who's working on me uh, and works on me for quite a few hours to do the kind of work that only a few hours can do by uh, realigning the muscles, the skin, and all the levels therein. And as he works on me, and I can handle a lot of pain because most people can't handle this pain, but the work that he does allows when I leave you know, my physical, and I go, I'm, sometimes I'm back thousands of years. Mm. Sometimes it's hundreds of years. And I go, William, you know, that, what you're working on happened to me 4,000 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, I, I might be silly about it, but there may be a truth to how much our physical bodies are records of our ancestry. Mm. And the more we work on that and release it, Heal those old pains. Some people have more of it. Some people have less. We all have different journeys on this planet. Um, and that's the other aspect. None of everyone is different. No. Uh, everyone can be individuated in their own magnificent self. And we're all parameters of each other atomically. You know, a tree is, a, is an, a, you know, you could... The senses feel the tree, the grass, the grasshopper, the butterfly. We, it, it's, you know, your investment in your connectedness to, to the very core of everything is you. Mm. <laughs> and that's where you have fun. And you don't want some, you know, the person who loves you wants you to be you that way. Mm. And you want that individual to be that way. You may want to share that joy. You know, what happened, I'll give you the best example. Uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier has just done this magnificent uh, period of time on uh, Broadway doing Hamlet. And the people in there are just unbelievable. They say that was the greatest Hamlet. They wait after, uh, they wait after the performance. They go to Sir Lawrence Olivier and say, you were absolutely the most wonderful. That was the best Hamlet we've ever seen. He goes, I think I stunk. Oh. 
So it's perception. Yeah. Who knows what an individual is thinking? You know, we look at them and their shadow is saying, that was the worst thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. His inner critic is all over it because I, I, I miss my mark. You know, whatever yeah. is going on in the individual. It reminds me a little bit of narrative therapy. How it's all story. It's all like a, we were telling ourselves a story to ourselves about life, about the universe, about everything. And then, therefore, uh, acknowledging the stories we tell ourselves uh, and acknowledging that it's just a story, it's a mere story, it's just, is one of the aspects. And then also when you're talking about like regressing or past life regressions or going into past life, people will be like, you know, a lot of people have that knee-jerk reaction giving our, giving our um, you know, kind of prevailing narratives about what is the nature of the, um, you know, lifetimes. You know, people have a lot of questions around past lives. But the point is it's all just a story. And whatever, whatever serves us at that moment, you know, to understand, like, for example, we did a past life regression with one of my classes and I experienced uh, going back to a past life regression where I was doing a past life regression. So it was interesting. I went back to like the 60s where I was in the middle of a past life regression. It was very interesting for me. Hmm. And I was and then in that moment. I was having a lot of skepticism, and a lot of, uh, you know, kind of questioning around it. And it, it just it just acknowledged to me that my deep sense of you know, skepticism around past lives is perhaps deeply rooted in, in past lives, you know? So it's very interesting to talk about, you know, you know the kind of the um, fixation we have about, uh, you know, the, the fixed reality, whereas understanding as being subjective reality, yeah. We live in a struggle. We're living in gravity. Gravity is always pulling us. And, you know, I spoke to you before we, we started this about what... Uh, the Grandmaster Mandakjia spoke about our gravitational bodies. Uh, he explained that we are 28.6 pounds per square inch in our gravitational bodies on a world that's 28.6 pounds per square inch, so that we walk this earth and we're in balance. Yet when our pounds per square inch decrease and the world crushes in on us, that's like a form of depression, certainly mm. physical depression, but certainly possibly emotional depression. So the Taoist practices are intended to increase your pounds per square inch. Yeah. It creates a bigger body, an aura, an energy field. That's for sure. I believe in that completely. And... That's the work that you get when you do your breathing mm. and, and the work. You can have a, a, a stronger, you can be bigger in this world, pounds per square inch, so that you are not being depressed by the gravity of just the planet Earth. Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, when you bring up depression, <clears throat> you know, being a burgeoning uh, mental health counselor, you know, I, my understanding is that, you know, people go through these states and there's a lot of judgment around that, a lot of judgment, like there's a hierarchy of states of being, that it's best to be, you know, the, the top of the charts is to be aligned and to be perfect and to be, you know, uh, and be fluffy and, and good, and the bottom is to be, you know, uh, unaligned. But e whatever we're going through at that moment is what we're going through, and I think the, the union perspective is to say, what is it teaching me right now, is to say, what, what do I have to move through you know, if I have to move through this dark night of the soul, then I have to move through this dark night of the soul. And it's going to teach me something. It's, it's where I'm at right now. I'm being honest about that, being transparent about that, that this is where I'm at. 
And this is where I have, you know, this is where, you know, it brings up like um, manifestation work that you can't manifest things if you can't choose to be in where you are right now. If you don't acknowledge where you are right now and, and, and energetically, spiritually, cosmically, see where you are right now mindfully, um, then only then can you pass through it. So you, can you let it go and let, and let, the, let that energy flow? You know, and taking that energy flow and the flow of energy, the flow state we talk a lot about on this show, um, you know, definitely aligns with what you're saying about Tai Chi, about uh, Taoism. The flow is ultimately what, 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 is what matters, I think. Well, when yeah. you're talking about emotions and yeah. emotions, most people don't even know the, the different emotions. Mm. Uh, and I learned it from Taoism or Jin Jin Jitsu yeah. that we have... Um, Patience, impatience. Yeah. We have sadness, grief, depression. There's the two. Worry is the third one. Uh, anger is the fourth. And fear is the fifth. Mm. Now, before I started working on myself in this individuated way, all of my emotions were like a, a, a Hungarian goulash. They all existed at the same time. I didn't know what I was angry at, worried about, depressed about. And until I took the time and a lot of time and breathing and visualization, just on depression alone, if you don't know that depression controls your lungs and your breathing, Mm. that it is part of the autumn season, the color to heal it is white, and your, uh, your pink and your index finger is your your lung finger, depression is connected to your breathing in your lungs. Mm. If you could just understand, oh, so you see people that are struck. Let's say somebody has bad hearing. And, you know, I've met people who have issues with hearing, and I realize that they have fear issues because the ear is connected to fear and the ear is connected to the kidney the kidney is winter energy the color is blue black um it's dark it's cold and you start to realize that people are afraid sometimes they have big issues with hearing Mm. i come across that all the time Mm. and some people are deaf they don't even realize that it probably came with an emotional fear aspect that happened sometime way back when and yeah. let me go for one more thing. We had a wonderful program a few years ago with um, uh, Kavala Adler, Dr. Kavala, uh, Susan Kavala Adler, and she was working on the ages of between two and three. And she said that our emotional energy, our emotional lives are very affected by what happens to us between the ages of two and three. And she went on and on and on. So that night I went home and I started to write about all the things that happened to me between the ages of two and three. Mm. I stopped after four pages <laughs> and I realized, wow, look, at uh, you just have to work really hard to have re- recollect your life. Mm. And if you recollect even your earliest moments, at least you have, you have them, you see. You have to see what you have been in your own collective, you're a collective. You're a collective of emotions and the people that you touch, the ones that you love, the ones that have that you don't like that are reflective of who you are. And all of this shadow stuff is not dark. 
It's not light. It is. It's yeah. the stuff that we can, if we can mine that stuff, mm. we'll find out where our um, less, uh, less um, uh, attractive attributes may be. Yeah. And we all have them. We all should own them. We should celebrate our shadow. If you could see your shadow, it's like you see whom you, you can learn about yourself by seeing the people you like and the per- people you don't like. Mm. Those aspects of people that you meet that you like are your aspects. The things that you don't like in other people are your aspects. Yeah. And that is an honest conversation I don't always want to go into. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think when you think about the universe being a mirror, we're seeing consciousness produces this mirror of ourselves and we're able to see uh, others as really as ourselves and, and acknowledging them a heart to heart connection that well, our judgments, we need to release those judgments. You need to release that assessing mind, that um, analytic mind, that, that intellectual mind. We need to get to the heart flow, the flow state. Well, yeah. we can't, you know, we have a psyche. Yeah. A psyche is, uh, let's say I'm a, um, I am a curious person. Mm. I want to know things. I want to know about people. I want, mm. I'm curious about their lives. A lot of people are not curious. Yeah. Uh, Psyche, the uh, Greek uh, siren, who she was, was you know going into have love with I believe Apollo. I believe it is or Eros. And uh, the the conditions of them having love at night was that she could never look at his face. Yeah. And one day she walked in. You know, with a lamp, uh, while he was asleep, she went to look. Uh, he woke up, found out, and that was the end. She, she was banned, and he went away. And, you know, that is our knowledge. Looking yeah. at, you want to know what God is? You want to know what the creator You can't. Yeah. You, you, know, it's, you know, even though we pursue it, and we think that we're going to look at it or, like, look at the sun and come out of the other end. No, we can't. Yeah. It is the thing that is we can never see. We can't see all of it. So we have to feel it, yeah. own it, and appreciate it from what we can't see. And stop looking for what is not there, yeah. even though we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, so there's only limits to language. There's very limits to language how much you can express, how much you can understand conceptually that we need to just experience it. And the experience is ultimately what comes up. But I just remind listeners of the Truth to Power Show. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent listener-supported radio. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So every dollar helps us continue to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax-deductible. If you're enjoying this conversation and want to see more of it, please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbooking.org slash donate. If you prefer to um, donate while shopping, uh, you can. if you're an Amazon shopper, um, you can uh, re- register Ready for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile Charity, in which case every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits Ready for Brooklyn. Um, if you're listening to this in front of your computer, free yourself up by downloading our free mobile app on iPhone or Android. Available on the App Store for iPhone and Google Play Store for Android. Be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for upcoming news about new programming, upcoming RFB events. You can sign up already for Gondorak slash newsletter. Um, also, there's going to be a live, there's going to be a live uh, event. Um, Ready for is proud to present uh, four amazing bands 
an outstanding local venue for those of you in New York City based for an evening of rocking music. Join us on Friday, May 20th. Uh, at 7.30 for a night of, with 7th grade girl fight, dirt bikes, Barrett and Castle Black, and none other than Ridgewood Zone's Bar Freda, 801 Seneca Avenue. Tickets are $10. can be purchased at the venue. So uh, Friday, May 20th at 7.30 p.m., uh, Bar, Bar Freda, 801 Seneca Avenue, in our Ridgewood, Queens, New York, and tickets are $10. So definitely check us out. Check that out there. Um so any last, let's get some last words in about um, you know how this all ties together for like ultimately we're talking about experience. We need to invite our listeners to experience the flow if they haven't already. If they if it kind of is, I'm sure many people experience it on on their own level, but deepening into that flow and and letting go of expectations, yeah, is what I'm kind of getting out of it. Yeah. Well, I will say this: that it all begins with a smile. Yeah. When you smile, you activate many muscles that a frown doesn't activate. Uh-huh. The smile can go through your entire body. That's what the Taoist practice is about. It's called the mm. inner smile. Mm. Yet if I went to talk about the avatar of India, the great Mayor Baba, who wrote a wonderful book on discourses, he said, just smile. Mayor mm. Baba was uh, the avatar of India, had many wonderful places of healing and education. And he spoke and spoke and spoke and taught and taught and taught. And he watched all these people not listening to him, not pay, doing any, paying any attention. So he made a decision to not speak for 40 years. Mm. He only wrote on a tablet and wrote his discourses on the tablet. He tried to explain that we really don't listen to one another. We don't hear one another. And he was the best example. And he just said, just smile. Mm. Uh, and my the Taoist master says the inner smile. I smile through my body, through my uh, my spine, my electric system, my digestive system, my breathing system. There forms a smiling that can in breathing that you can breathe through your bones and your hair, your skin, your yeah. in so many ways. It's wonderful if you like doing it. Thank there you, are other you. ways to do it as well. You got like a minute left, so Scott, any last words? No, I'm walking away with a smile as well. I want to thank yeah. uh, thank Steve for for sharing all that. A lot of a lot of great insights into wheel of emotion and uh, and hearing about the uh, yeah the analytical uh, psychology club, which is Tuesdays, I believe you say. No, no well, we're we're get in now touch with us, the analytical psychology club of New York. We have a, a website, I believe, and. Uh, uh, we have uh, we have wonderful events. Uh, you know, we uh, they happen through the year. All right, just... Thank you, thank you. Yeah, definitely wonderful. check us out. Check us out at KML as well, Christine Mann Library, and uh, continue to listen to Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, next show is coming up soon. Uh, eggs, grits, sausage, and and uh, eggs, bacon, grits, and sausage. So continue to listen to us. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.